propane on a podcast talking about how we are fighting the climate crisis? Talking about propane? Yeah, we are. And I have to admit, when a member of Tucker's team first reached out to me, I was a little bit skeptical about having him come onto the show to talk about propane. Because when I think of propane, I think of it as a fossil fuel a non-renewable resource, but I was wrong because natural gas and propane can be non-renewable. But as Tucker mentions during this interview, there are 13 new ways to source propane as a renewable resource with a much lower carbon footprint that also burns a lot cleaner than a lot of other fuel. And depending on the way that it is sourced, it can even have a negative carbon footprint. So as Tucker mentions during this interview, propane and natural gas might be a bridge fuel, but it is something that we utilize during this energy transformation, a necessary thing that we utilize. Because a lot of our energy consumption systems right now that are in place just aren't a great fit for electric or batteries or other alternative fuels. And plus, there's always downsides. There's always trade-offs with all of these other technologies that they have. You know, they're either sourcing a lot of rare metals or they're doing this or doing that. So there's always trade-offs to this. If we can have something where we can provide fuel cheaply, easily, that burns clean, that is an option as well. You know, it's all about what can get us to net zero the fastest, what is going to allow us to adopt that future. And so when we talk about natural gas and propane as being that bridge fuel to bridge the gap between transitioning from diesel, coal, a lot of these really dirty fuels into this bridge of propane and cleaner burning fuels, and then being able to eventually transition into those alternative energies that are coming into the market like hydrogen or electric in the future. So that is why I'm super excited to introduce you today to Tucker Perkins and the work that he is doing to promote propane as a key player in our energy transformation to net zero. You're here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. Tucker, do you mind telling us a bit about all the things you do? Thanks, Billy. Love to be with you today. And so I am the president and CEO of what we call PERC. That's short for the Propane Education and Research Council. And we really are tasked with watching over propane in the United States to see that it's used safely by consumers and that the people who deliver it are well-trained. But our primary role is really to see that the way we use it, the furnaces and water heaters and engines, that they are the most modern and efficient and innovative technologies that we can find. That, you know, we have three big purposes. One's around safety, one's around training. But the last is really around innovation in not only the appliance, but innovation in the fuel. And we'll talk a little bit about it, but it's a really exciting time to be in the propane business, if you will. Yeah, definitely. And so you have the education part and the safety part, and then you're talking about the innovation as well. How are you getting out that information about the innovation side of things, making sure everything is 
as up-to-date as possible. And we really like to do that in two ways, right? One is talking to existing propane users or people who live in what we refer to as propane country, usually beyond the natural gas mains, perhaps out of dense urban areas, but are looking for a home that could be run on how to heat their house, how to have a hot water, how to cook their meal. And we really do that by many avenues, but the most is an aggressive website, propane.com. People can really go and learn about the different appliances, how to find those appliances, how to use it. We work a lot with builders or architects and engineers, fleet managers. And then we're beginning to, you know, over the last years, as we've really thought about the misconceptions of propane as a clean fuel for the future, we've really begun to take that message beyond propane country and into places where leaders are just gathering and talking about the future of energy. And so we really encourage them to also to go to propane.com. We have a really nice environmental tab there where people can begin to learn about how low carbon fuels like propane fit into a world we really do need to decarbonize. Yeah, definitely. And that's really the whole goal of this podcast too, is to raise awareness about how we can fight the climate crisis and really be able to transition into different energies and alternative fuels from what we're using currently. So do you mind to give just a few top points of why it would be a good idea for us to include propane into a low carbon future? Yeah, thanks, Billy. And I think that's arguably the biggest misconception I think out there that as we begin to think about decarbonizing, it began to be a war about fossil fuels versus electrification when we're really in the middle of this fight to say, no, fossil fuels aren't all evil and certainly they're not all good. Some fossil fuels are pretty bad. Coal, oil, and wood are pretty bad. And it really doesn't matter whether you use them directly or you make electricity from them. At some point, some fuels are bad. But on the flip side of that, some of the lower carbon fuels like propane or natural gas really do have a bright future, particularly right now today as we think about decarbonizing. Let's move away from diesel fuel, move away from heating oil. Let's certainly move away from coal wherever we can and use these good short-term choices for propane or natural gas to do just that. Heat your home, heat your water, produce power, run a vehicle. And we spend a lot of time really working with the manufacturers of those devices, but also beginning to educate not only consumers, but the business audience about how to choose it. We're living in a time right now where diesel fuel is certainly top of mind because for most places, it's quite expensive. And for many other places, it might even be scarce. And we're here we stand at a place, you'll ask me in a bit maybe about favorite podcast of mine, but one of my favorites was let's make this diesel's last decade. It's fascinating that we need to choose an outdated fuel and step over a very clean, modern fuel that would in fact aid in decarbonizing today, whether we're powering a generator, powering a furnace, or powering a vehicle. Yeah, definitely. And how do you see natural gas as that mediator between diesel or those fossil fuels and electrification. It's funny, natural gas is in such a difficult spot because I think most people who really believe only in a renewable future tend to vilify natural gas. I think most practitioners of understanding the art of producing electricity and the quantities we need and the price we need really hardly can see a world without using natural gas. And I think particularly in the United States, they're not so true around the world, but in the United States, we've been fortunate to have supplies of both natural gas and really therefore propane. 
So it's this great domestic resource. So hopefully the world is beginning to view some of these low carbon fuels like natural gas or propane in a bit of a different light as energy security comes to mind. We see where Europe is right now with that reliance on Russian natural gas, which probably never was a good idea under the lens of energy security. But now it's a horrible idea, right? We're in that same crossroads. So I do think that the natural gas industry has to control their methane problem, right? And I think voluntarily they're making steps and I think then they're going regulatory, they're going to be forced to really control their methane. But I don't really see a short-term future, meaning 20, 30 years in the U.S. where we don't have natural gas. It's just too pervasive for buildings and for power generation. So I think it's going to be around. I think the natural gas industry is it's incumbent on them to do what they're already doing, to start thinking about renewable natural gas, certified natural gas, make an effort on capturing their methane before it escapes. And then we'll be the beneficiary to that in that we have this vast network that can already deliver large amounts of energy. The propane industry is in that same category. Weirdly, propane comes from natural gas, but it doesn't have a methane problem. Propane today is one of the fuels you might see as a refrigerant in a modern refrigeration system. If you go into Lidl or Aldi or Target, highly likely that those standalone refrigeration cases with milk or whatever are the refrigerant in them is propane. Unlike natural gas, propane doesn't contain methane. It's a very low potential global warming. So it's been chosen as a refrigerant of the future. But our job is to see that propane begins to fill the things where propane does really well, like work on the farm, natural gas isn't available, a power generation, such an appropriate fuel for, everybody knows it as the fuel for residential backup power generation, but we're beginning to move now into a lot of prime power, some commercial jobs, even some large-scale industrial jobs. People don't realize it, but it's propane that fuels the power for the Virgin Islands. In fact, most of the islands across the Caribbean are moving from diesel to uh, propane and solar together. Really probably the energy system of the future. And then for us, it's really about replacing diesel fuel and transportation. Not in passenger cars, it's not a big focus of ours, and frankly, not in the heaviest duty tractor trailers, but in those last mile delivery vehicles that bring into your house water or food or bread or packages. And that's a big part of our effort to replace diesel fuel and when we do that, Billy, it's crazy. Diesel fuel is difficult, expensive, and fairly dirty. But if we can move away from diesel fuel to propane, these modern engines, we cut NOx emissions 97%. We cut particulate virtually to zero. We cut greenhouse gases 25%. So the impact of that choice, not only does the user save money, and maybe your packages come cheaper, or your bread is delivered cheaper, but every vehicle mile that travels on propane versus diesel, we're saving emissions. And it's a great story. Yeah, definitely. And so why are you not focused on the larger trucks and the passenger vehicles? You're, you see focus in that mid-range, last mile vehicles. Why is that focus? It's been something I've questioned myself. But for example, we're bringing a brand new technology to market now with Cummins. That technology has been nearly 10 years in the making. In round numbers, $150 million of investment between all the parties. So it's just you know, to bring a modern engine into the marketplace just requires a massive amount of effort. And we focused on this mid-range, what we would call class six or seven 
engine before a tractor trailer. Ultimately, you'll see us move into that class eight heavy duty engines. Technically, there's no reason. There had been a world where in the alternative fuel space, it, it had been a natural gas dominated when we've been watching fuel cells and some other, but it doesn't look like battery electric is going to make it into that space on a broad basis. Certainly there'll be niche applications where people can use most of these vehicles we're talking about might run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And certainly they need to run five or 600 miles between stops. And so it's just not suitable for today's battery electric. But short term, we decided to focus on where diesel didn't have some strength and natural gas wasn't strong, but there was a great market. And that's this medium duty. Anytime you're delivering people or freight or goods was the market we focused on. But you'll see us move into class eight heavy duty trucking fast enough. We're working on it now. Yeah, definitely. And what about the lower side of things? What about the passenger vehicles? We decided a long time ago that given the complexity of EPA regulations and the constant tweaking of them, if you will, that passenger cars were just not a market that really were going to matter to anyone and really in terms of emissions. I know we talk about it as I'm off, say my mother asked me once, what car should I drive? And I said, it doesn't really matter whether you drive a Prius or a Hummer because you drive six or 7,000 miles a year and you can benefit the environment by just thinking more meticulously about how to plan your trips. We're working with the likes of UPS or FedEx or freight companies that are prone to drive five days a week, 200, 300 miles a day, and you might drive 100,000 miles. Now, we do work with some passenger groups like police fleets, limousine companies, and some of those companies where they might drive 60 to 70,000 miles a year, very high idle times. So not only having a less expensive fuel, but a cleaner fuel is really important. But even over time, we tend to believe that battery electric will meet the needs of a lot of consumers. And so it's not about a passenger car market. It's very much about a commercial truck market. And that's really where we try to focus because we'll give the commercial fleet not only a way to cut their fleet cost, but a way to significantly decarbonize and make the healthy parts of exhaust, NOx emissions, particular matter, really cut them to virtually zero. And it's a massive change in environmental benefit and really where we can get the most play right now. Yeah, definitely. Especially with propane, you're still using a similar type of fuel base like compared to diesel and what you were using before it's not as alternate as going like either electric or trying to use the hydrogen fuel cells or things like that so there's definitely less of a gap between trying to accept this new propane technology it's and, funny if i just yeah. follow up with that because these are the things i learned from time to time the architecture of a gasoline engine or a propane engine or frankly a hydrogen engine they share this common architecture unlike the architecture of a battery electric vehicle and we really tend to work, and the Cummins doing it now, have a fuel agnostic, if you will, platform that's ready for propane or gasoline or diesel fuel or natural gas or hydrogen. And they tend to be gathering. I would say for you this, our holy grail and one we're working to now is to think about a propane hybrid engine. And we see great promise in that. And you, as you said, why, if that's the promise, why aren't you bringing that to the market right now? Because Toyota has a very cool product. If you had gone to the Olympics in Japan, they used a propane hybrid taxi. And around the world, you see it. I'm just back from a meeting where we're looking at what's going on in Italy. And there are a lot of really neat propane hybrid 
car applications. But for us, we're trying to bring to the markets propane engine and hybrid. And really, we begin to mix the best of both worlds, if you would, a clean, very clean burning propane engine mixed with a hybrid. And then you'll get really, that's the holy grail for us in transportation. Yeah, definitely. That sounds great. And I know you mentioned earlier about renewable propane. What are the delineations of that? And can you dive more into renewable propane? Yeah, and it, renewable propane, frankly, is the last piece of this innovative story, right? I think we've been monitoring the conversations and participating in it so much. And there'll be a spot for battery electric vehicles, but albeit, I think, more on a consumer passenger vehicle side. As we begin to think about these larger vehicles, we had to think about the system, right? First, we have to have the most modern engines available that are clean and efficient and cost-effective to make and service and all that. But the last piece is to work on the fuel. And I think is, well, we can make a very clear and convincing argument that you can use conventional propane today in these modern engines and decarbonize today. I think most people don't realize that. The electric grid today isn't really very clean. West Virginia has been picked on a little bit in the news because I think their use of coal to produce electricity is something like 90%, by far the most coal mix in any state, but a lot of states are using 60, 70% coal. So clearly that's not a clean grid today, right? So an electric vehicle on a non-clean grid is also not very clean. As we begin to think though about the future, because everyone will say, Tucker, I believe the grid will be cleaner. To which I quickly say, yes, I hope so, because it's pretty dirty today. But as we bring in more renewable sources, the grid will get cleaner. If we want to be competitive with that kind of clean, then we needed to introduce a renewable fuel. So renewable propane, and I'm excited to say something we've been talking about for a decade. We now make it from the same way we make renewable diesel or sustainable aviation fuel. In fact, the propane industry is about the same size as the aviation industry, which is interesting in terms of total demand. And this migration to sustainable aviation fuel, we're beginning to match it with renewable propane. We use waste cooking oils, used cooking oils, and we can convert that to exactly what looks like propane to an engine, but have none of the emissions characteristics. I'm always happy to say this, Billy, six or eight months ago, if you and I were talking about renewable propane, I would have stopped right there. That's our path is to use cooking oils, hydro treat them, and make renewable propane. Now, it can be very low carbon, carbon zero or close to it. But now we have 13 other pathways that are really being followed around the world. And I'll just tell you about one because I think one is so exciting. We came across a non-food cover crop. I'd never heard of it before called camelina plant. It doesn't compete with food, so it's not like ethanol and corn. It doesn't have that fight. Drought tolerant. And then genetically modified to become even more drought tolerant, but it grows in places where farmers can rotate it in with their normal crops, fast to germinate. When it's growing, it's a flowering plant, so it really provides honeybee habitat and it's something we really need. Combines with typical agricultural equipment, so they don't need any different equipment. And then the plant that's going to turn it into propane, we're sure that it's going to be at least zero carbon it very well may be less than zero carbon because the plant's modern and it's the kind of feedstock that we look for. It's easy to grow, easy to combine, and easy to convert to propane. So here we have now this renewable propane from a non-food cover crop, honeybee friendly, 
And really what's left over either feeds animals or goes back onto the land as compost. It's nearly the perfect environmental story. That's but one of the 13 other pathways we're working on. And I'm just back from a meeting where we really studied this in detail, really on a worldwide balance. And we're really comfortable that we can meet our commitments to providing renewable fuels, whether it's for transportation or for buildings or for construction, or frankly, for this growing business around marine environment that will have adequate renewable fuels for worldwide demand. It's an exciting time for us. Yeah, that's super exciting. And the Camelina crop, what stage is that at in the development process? What would it take for it to start to scale? So we are building not a pilot plant. We're building the first facility in California. So the crops are being planned and the plant has been financed and built. And so it's coming out of the ground and they will be producing renewable propane in 2023. Nice. Um, and then one of the things we keep working with, because you know, as you just alluded to, many of these can be done at, in pilot plants, but can they be done at scale and at the right price? And so one of the things that we get really excited about is finding ways to take this waste methane. It could be a flare gas. It could be methane from a landfill. It could be any of these it could be animal waste that's providing methane and try to efficiently convert that straight to propane. And we now see a couple of processes that have been patented that are able to do that. And then the last we just saw, MIT finally came out with a study that probably made sense to us that they're able to take waste plastics and convert them directly to renewable propane. Science really begins to focus on the issue. And the issue is how can we reduce the carbon content in the fuels that we need to have in front of us? Clearly, propane, natural gas would be two that we need to have in front of us. They can power generators. They can power vehicles. They can power your home. How do we reduce the carbon? We're beginning to see science really innovate on some processes that can turn waste agricultural products, waste forest products, waste animal materials, can convert all of that easily, frankly, and efficiently into renewable fuel. So we're comfortable that we're going to have adequate volumes over the next 10 years to really meet the demand we see for renewable fuel. Yeah, definitely. That's super exciting. And at what scale? Is energy generation, is that like energy generation for a single home or is it going to be like larger scale where it can provide for hundreds of homes, thousands of homes? Where do you see like the energy scale for propane and natural gas being in the future? Yeah, it's a great question. And I might break that into two bites, if you will. One where sure. I see it going for propane and one where I see it going for natural gas. Because I think natural gas will certainly always enjoy those larger utility scale power plants, combined cycle generation, for example. So utility scale power plants, that's really going to be the playground for natural gas, probably certainly always in concert with solar or wind. I think propane will always be one level below that. Now we certainly the backup power generation for residents, for commercial, for hospitals, we are already that. And anybody that's using diesel generators as backup, they should immediately be thinking about propane. Easier to store, cheaper, better for the environment, the same powerful engines and much cleaner both to store it and use it than diesel fuel. But where we begin to see is we also have some utility scale solutions, microgrids, for example. Today in Truckee, California, we have a microgrid propane generator mixed with solar panels. When the utility grid there needs to be de-energized for fire, this microgrid comes on and provides the power 
for all the residents of Truckee, California. We see that recreated often through the Caribbean. And we also now have a lot of companies that begin to use propane-powered prime power, right? No longer do they want to rely on the electricity from the grid. Perhaps it's too expensive. Perhaps it's not reliable enough. So we see a lot of companies beginning to think about prime power for them. And maybe they tie to the grid, maybe to have the grid just help shave their peaks, or maybe to have the grid just provide some base load. But we're beginning to see more and more propane be the fuel of choice for industrial scale or microgrid applications. Again, 10 years ago, I don't think we really would have talked to you about having the suite of engines that were needed to provide those amounts of power. But today, we're powering ships all around the world, that level of horsepower. We're powering power plants all around the world, and we're doing it in ways that are as reliable as any other engine and using a much cleaner fuel. And it's a great story and one that really is just beginning to play out. Yeah, definitely. That's super exciting. And I'd love to ask you personally, what led you here? What led you to become president of PERC and start really diving into propane and everything like that? You never know the how life deals you twists and turns and puts you into a place where fate just knocks on the door and you finally answered the door. I grew up in a home where my father ran a propane company, so I certainly was exposed to propane all through my youth and college years, but I'd elected to not work there. When I left college, I was a consulting engineer for a while. And really, now that I look back on it, really was exposed to a, a key element of this climate shift that we need to think about. And that is land use and land planning and walkable communities and the impact of urban design on climate really was a great playground for that. But I spent the bulk of my career early on in the natural gas industry. And I was exposed to liquefied natural gas, built pipelines, I managed pipelines, I designed pipelines, and really was fully versed in how the natural gas system works. I then came back to the propane business and really ran what ultimately became the fourth largest propane company in the country. And then we sold that and I ran the smallest one in the country because for a while it was me and then it was me and one person and then me and two other people. So it really gave me a great understanding of not only the complexities of the energy industry, but the complexities of running big business or small business. And so one day I got a call that would I be interested in coming to the Propane Education and Research Council to lead development activities to which I promptly said, no, I'm very busy and satisfied with where I am. But a couple more knocks at that door and I saw that the opportunity was there. I took it and it, the last 10 years have been just a wonderful kind of part of my career. Yeah, that's great. And we've talked a lot about what's coming up for different technologies and for propane and everything. Where do you see this going in the next five years? Is more opportunities happening for propane and integrating into more places or what do you see? It is funny that as you think about propane, you read about all the work coming out of COP27 and you begin to think we have to really divide our thinking in developed nations and developing nations because developing nations are trying to move away from using wood or charcoal or dung. And for them, the very first solution should be, in fact, to choose propane in which to cook maybe to have their limited power generation. But for them, that is such an upgrade lifestyle and quality of life and frankly, cleanliness. Just if we think about the developing nations, we're trying to get them to see the value of using low carbon fuels like propane and ultimately renewable propane and to move over and move past deforestation, move past using charcoal, just horrible choices. 
But as I think about the developing nations, I'm really excited that we're really are going to begin to see propane take market share as it should from heating oil, from diesel use, and in transportation. And we're having wonderful success right now in and around the ports. All the material handling that's currently using diesel fuel, it should be using propane because hydrogen's not ready today. Battery electric's not ready today. These are 24-hour, seven-day operations. And even if they had available electrons, they probably couldn't really afford them right now. So I'm just coming off some fresh commercial launches in the various ports around the country where they're migrating from diesel to propane. So the opportunities I see in front of us really in those three growth areas, transportation, material handling, and power generation, and never looking back though to maintain what we're doing on the farm for businesses beyond the natural gas main and for homeowners who are living beyond the natural gas main. Yeah, definitely. And Specifically, PERC, how much is it working with developing countries? Are you just in the U.S.? PERC is tasked specifically with working inside the U.S. But because we're just such a leading center of excellence for safety or training or some of the research, and we do collaborate closely with our friends in Canada, our friends in Mexico, but our friends in Europe, that we are often in contact. So, for example, the stoves that are being used in most of Africa were coming from people who designed them in the U.S. And we certainly help, and we love to tell that story. We love to tell the story of how moving from charcoal to a propane stove in sub-Saharan Africa, how it changes not only just the life of a person, that lady who is generally tasked to gather the food, to gather the wood, keep the fires going, but how it changes the community. And we love telling that story. Or we love telling the story of how a farmer who finds himself able to grow camelina weed now provides better for his family, better for the environment around him. And I think one day that very tractor that he uses on diesel fuel will be running on renewable propane. So it's a great story and really two very opposite ends of the spectrum. Something that we really don't even think about, but how do you clean up your indoor air quality which is massively dirty because you burn charcoal or wood, or how do we use these sophisticated techniques like combined heating and power, the most modern techniques for producing electricity. And so it's a hockey stick with a lot of activity on both ends. Yeah, that's super exciting. That's great. And I would like to ask you just about your podcast as well. I know you host Path to Zero. I'd love to just hear you talk. What was your goal for starting the podcast? It was fun. We, when we created Path to Zero, we really just wanted to create a place where people could come and talk about the energy situation, right? It was early on and we really not tried to be pro propane, anti-propane. We've been just having a conversation about the energy transformation. I'm quick to not call it a transition. I say transitions are, are smooth and you hardly know you're in them. Transformations are lumpy and bumpy and we're seeing it right now. Europe is not in a transition. Europe is in a transformation, right? People are cold or paying prices they didn't have to pay. We've had guests on there that talked about weather. Catherine Hayhoe, really one of the world's leading experts on climate as you know, in the weather. We've had carbon experts that talked about how we make carbon and sequester carbon, things I never thought about. Some of the recent guests talked about nuclear fusion and the reality of that. Had a couple engineers on not long ago talking about the future of the internal combustion engine. It's far from dead, you know, is their thesis. And we really have just had people come in and have a conversation 
about where their role is in the energy transformation. Really everything I learned, I think about equity and justice. We had the NAACP on talking with us about their view of equity and justice. And it's been eye-opening and frankly, a good source for me to just not only maintain a steady dialogue with leading energy experts, but to really hear the latest thinking around climate and justice and equity. And we look forward to every episode. I think we have about 58 episodes done and we have a full year planned for next year. Nice. That's very exciting. And do you have a favorite episode you'd like to highlight here? I know you mentioned a few, but. I think one that we really like to talk about was a fascinating episode early on called Let's Make This Diesel's Last Decade. And I think a really interesting story by a couple of really smart university scientists that, again, just highlight the complexities of diesel fuel. And people listening to your podcast today in the Northeast, they're having their own a bit of a diesel fuel scare, a bit of a price run up. And we really need to be thinking about alternatives to diesel. And so that's really probably the most listened to podcast and also one of the most exciting. Let's make this diesel's last decade. Awesome. I'll definitely link that in the show notes below and everything so everybody can check that out too. And you know, you have all 2023 planned out already, but what are your goals for where you want the podcast to go? I think we want the podcast to continue to go just where it is, which is to be just a forum. So we're really talking about the energy issues of the day and to keep it being a mix of hydrogen and battery electrification and climate science and just all of the topics that are in front of us. Because the issues are so complicated to try to boil some of it down into simple terms that people can understand is really important. So the podcast, that's easy for us. I think the other part is for us to continue to be places where this conversation is happening and not just with propane people or even energy people, but to be with industry that's really feeling the effects of rising energy prices and to listen to them and think about their solutions. I'm headed really early on in the year to the leading meeting for port managers, people that are really responsible for bringing freight in. And I'm already looking at the agenda and I'm excited about it because there's a great opportunity for propane to help decarbonize, to help reduce their cost today and even give them a reliable choice of fuel because that's a place where bottlenecks have been a problem, supply chain's been such a problem. So to give them a way to cut their cost, improve their reliability and decarbonize, it's just rewarding to be a part of that conversation and to hear about their pain points, what's important to them. And I've been around a long time and ran a fleet for my own big business there at one time. You think you know about a lot of this, but when you sit with owners and listen to them talk about their problems in these times, it really helps us devise solutions that are the right solution for them. And that's one of the things we're able to do at the Propane Education and Research Council. We're not selling people technology. We're not selling people propane. We're really just there to see if we can impact the best solutions for them. Yeah, definitely. Because it is so difficult to hear all the things that are going on because you have your own business to run. You have the things that you got to get done each day. You don't have time to just go out there and just research or read the latest news. Like sometimes you just got to get things done for your business. So it's hard to be able to 
have that understanding and grasp like what is actually going on out there what are the available options so that's like really awesome that you're able to do that and i know that probably keeps you very busy with learning about all the new innovations and everything but do you have any other specific things that you're currently learning right now i'm always learning more and more about how complex it is in the electric industry and i said i i was a natural gas industry guy and never really was a electrical industry guy but the complexity of the electric delivery system the grid making power storing power, getting it to your house to complete that just-in-time inventory when you flip on a switch. The more I learn about how complex that is, it's just an amazing system. And then you have to think about how the world needs to change, right? How can we change? And we're beginning to see at least Europeans are demonstrating something that I didn't think we could do. They can conserve. Given a choice, people can conserve. And so I'm always learning. The last piece is it's so much beyond science, right? It's so much beyond technology. It's also a lot about human factors and what we as a nation are willing to. And so it, we're going to continue to learn through this. The one thing is for sure, the energy transformation is just beginning. Batteries will look nothing like what we talk about today in 20 or 30 years. And the electric delivery system will probably be nothing like it is now. And technology will help us and systems will help us and systems logic will help us. So much of it's going to change. You just have to be nimble in your thinking. I guess agile is the right word and just be willing to think into the future. And I'm really happy to say though, as I look into the future and lean way into the future, we talk about propane or natural gas or bridge fuels. And I think that's a fair statement. I think it's just a very long bridge that as we really mix affordability, reliability, environmental benefit, propane and natural gas will be here a long time. And our job is to see that their conventional counterpart, conventional propane, conventional renewable gas, and ultimately their renewable twins, that we are on the right path to zero with both those. Yeah, definitely. Love that. And what is one tip that you might give another ecopreneur here on the podcast about growing their green business or starting their own green business? Oh, I love that. I think I've kind of stepped out on my own two times. And so I, all of us that have ever done it once, that gene never quiets. And so I love <laughs> to watch people. And I think the thing for all of it is find your niche, be very clear about what it is that you're trying to do. What is the need that you're going to fill and then just do it better than anybody else? And I sat down last night to order from Amazon. That's all Amazon did, what, 15 years ago is what is your niche and how can you do it better than anybody else? and you'll be successful. My other piece of advice is never stop learning, never stop listening, but that's easy advice. I think the first piece of advice is clearly define your niche, clearly define the need that you're trying to fulfill, and then do it better than anybody around you. Definitely. That's great. And if somebody would like to reach out to you, learn more about what you're doing, check out your podcast, how do they get in touch with you? I think the easy way to, to find us is just come to propane.com. The podcast is, list, is listed there. The podcast is called Path to Zero. You can certainly find it wherever you find your podcast, but we love to ask people to come to propane.com to wander all over that site, to look at the environmental tab. You can find out how to get to me there at tucker.perkins at propane.com, but go to propane.com and we'll try to inform you and just help you be better prepared to be a part of this energy transformation as well. Great. Tucker, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been awesome having you on the show talking to us all about propane, about renewable propane and all of what's coming up ahead. So it's very exciting times and thank you so much for sharing it here on the podcast. Billy, I've been looking forward to it for a good while. So thanks for having me and look forward to staying connected with you. 
Definitely. And if you enjoyed this interview with Tucker from PREC, Propane Education and Research Council, and all the exciting things that are happening in the world of propane and the many new innovations that are coming onto market, then I invite you to check out this interview with LF bioenergy. They are doing one of the things that Tucker mentioned during this interview, which is collecting renewable natural gas from the manure on dairy farms and creating a new source of revenue for dairy farmers. So make sure you don't miss out on this specific use case of renewable natural gas in this interview with LF Bioenergy. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. And if you are interested in launching your own podcast to make an even larger impact on the world, then look no farther than the podcasting platform that I use here to launch every single episode of Green Business Impact, Podbean. I searched through all the different podcasting platforms out there and the best choice by far was Podbean. They give you truly the best value and all the resources you need to spread your message to the world by easily connecting you to all the different podcasting networks like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of them. And they give you so many resources and opportunities to monetize it as well. So if you are on the fence about which podcasting platform to go with, make sure you check out the link in the description below to register your podcast with Podbean. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.